people. Uh, hi, welcome to Cyber Reason's Malicious Life, Ask Us Anything. I'm Ran Levy, and with me in the studio today are our senior producer, Nate Nelson. Hey, everybody. And uh, sitting in front of me, Hadas Drucker, our social media manager. Hi, Hadas. Hello. Thank you to everybody who joined us today to celebrate Malicious Life's fifth birthday anniversary. Uh, today is a rather special day for me and for everybody who worked on the podcast for the past five years, because Malicious Life is a kind of a miracle. It's not really a miracle, because a lot of people worked really hard for this miracle to happen. But if anyone would have told me when we set out on this journey that five years and some 171 episodes later, Malicious Life will become one of the world's top security podcasts, and in fact, one of the world's top technology podcasts, I would have responded, well, that would take a miracle. Uh, so a big thank you to everybody who were in on the show's production. Uh, a big chunk of that miracle is due to our wonderful community of listeners from all over the world. I've been podcasting for uh, about 15 years now. And if there's one thing I've learned during that long, long journey is that there's only one way for a podcast to become really successful. And that's not great marketing. It's only through word of mouth, which means you people talking about malicious life with your friends, your family, next to the coffee machine in the office during family meals and on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Reddit and whatnot. I had the pleasure of chatting and talking with fans, uh, tens if not hundreds of listeners over the years, and I'm always amazed by all the support and love you give to us. So today we are all here for you people to answer your questions, to talk about the past, present and future of the podcast, and mainly, for me at least, to celebrate the fact that so many thousands of people from all over the world, from US to China, from India to Germany, from Norway to Kenya, can come together and create such a lovely community around a topic that we all find so fascinating. So Zoom's uh, chat box is waiting for your questions and comments. Write them down, press send, and if you wish, Hadas will reach out to you and invite you to enable your microphone and go live on air with us. We also have some questions that people already sent us in the past few weeks. And while you're thinking about questions you wish us to answer, Hadas here has gathered some statistics about the show. Hadas, want to share them with our listeners? Okay, so statistics. Uh, after five years, we have over six million downloads uh, overall for the episode, which is ridiculously amazing. And we are averaging, like the past month, we are over 200,000 downloads, uh, which for us Ooh. is exciting, and it's always growing, and it's all thanks to you guys. The most popular episode to date has been part one of The Great Firewall of China uh, that aired on August 14th, 2020. Part two, for some reason, isn't on the top 10. <laughs> the first Maybe. part was... Enough. <laughs> It was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you did a great job. We don't want to hear more. Um, after that, we have the Tesla hack uh, from September 21. And also uh, John McAfee, August 21. Many parts one are in the top 10, along with uh, Yahoo's Ugly Death and Huawei Ban and uh, Triton Part 1. And the only uh, B-side that managed to get on our top 10 is... is the one with Jack Reisler, 
The Jig Resider from uh, Darknet Diaries. Indeed. Yeah, naturally. I mean, he's a superstar, so lots of attention there. Um, okay, great. Another uh, statistic, something? Yes, actually, if you go to our uh, YouTube channel, the statistics are kind of different. The most popular video we have is the uncut full interview about the story of Loft. Loft Industries, yes. Yes. And this recording will also be up on our YouTube as in the uncut session. So we are continuing with the successful vibes. And the next most popular one is Jan Slut's incredible data comparison system. It's actually Jan Slut. It's, yeah. it's a Dutch guy. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've yeah. offended uh. my heritage. <laughs> um, okay, so this is where we are at now after five years. But Ran, how did we get here? How malicious life came to be? Okay, so um, before we go on to your questions, um, yes, let's talk about how the show started. And I'll take you uh, way back to the past, to 2007. I started in Israel a podcast in Hebrew called Making History. Back then, I was a developer, an electronic engineer, a developer. Uh, and as a hobby, I started podcasting way back then. After about half a year, a year, the show kind of exploded in Israel, kind of changed my, uh, my life trajectory, you might say. And um, uh, six or seven years later, I quit my job, uh, started a podcasting company, PI Media, with my partner, Danny. And uh, we started in like, you know, small community space, two people, maybe three people after a few months. And then um, we got, one day we got a phone call from Cyber Reason, uh, which uh, is uh, a partly Israeli, partly American company. And their founders, uh, it seems, uh, were listening to my podcast in, in Hebrew, and they liked it. And they thought about creating a podcast about cybersecurity in English. And at that point, I need to say that I already had a, a podcast that I started in English. It was called uh, Curious Minds. Uh, me and Nate actually worked on it uh, kind of uh, quite a bit before Malicious Life. And um, it, it took a, lo- a long time for Curious Mind to take off. I mean, uh, the responses were great, but uh, it took a long time for the show to take off. And we figured that uh, marketing in the U.S. is probably going to be a very difficult challenge. And at that point, Cyberism approached us, as I said, and... Uh, suggested or asked if we could create another podcast about cybersecurity in English. And uh, that was uh, a great offer because unbeknownst to them, I think, I already wrote a book about four or five years earlier about the history of cybersecurity. So in essence, I already had the first episodes of that podcast ready in book form. I just had to adapt it to, um, to a podcast. Which were, which were the first six or seven episodes of the podcast, if uh, our listeners uh, remember. And I think the real success uh, or the notion of success from outside, because in podcasting, it's a bit, a bit difficult to see if, if the show is successful. You get to see downloads, but you don't get to see the vibe so, uh, so easy. 
is when one of our producers, Eliad Kimchi, who was in a conference, I think it was Black Hat or RSA, told us that they've created uh, T-shirts for Malicious Life, uh, about 500 of these, I think. And all of these T-shirts were gone within like two days in, in their booth, in Cyber Reason's booth in the conference which was a huge surprise. I mean, like 500 people buying T-shirts in two days, that seemed quite a lot. So uh, a year after that, I was invited to uh, Black Hat in Las Vegas, and we did a listener's uh, event, a get-together, a listener's meeting in uh, Black Hat, during the Black Hat convention. And again, there were like, I don't know, 100 people over there or something like that. A lot of people from the attendees came to see us. So I think that's when we realized that Malicious Life is kind of taking off, which was very, very nice. It was great fun. And I think that Nate joined us within like a few months after the show started, right? Or uh, I actually joined when we were producing season one for the first time. This would have been the summer of 2017. I wasn't working on it at the time, but... Yeah, it's been, yeah. what, five years? Yeah, Probably. Yeah. Very, from the beginning. Yeah. And Adas joined us, I think it was last year, if I recall correctly. And Yotam... This January. Sunday, this January. And Yotam also around this time. And we, we had several producers working on the show during that time, uh, uh, time frame. So that's the condensed version of uh, Malicious Life. Basically, me getting a very interesting offer from Cyberism at the exact time that I needed it. Because Curious Minds, although it was a great show, wasn't taking off fast enough for a little company to actually be able to support itself back then. We were only like three people working full-time job. Uh, so you could say that Malicious Life came at the right time, exactly when we needed it. Um, so if you have any more questions, guys, this is, uh, your, uh, <laughs> this is your time, right? So uh, I'll start with a question that came to us on Twitter over the past few weeks. Sure. Um, Iceman of Oz, that I couldn't figure out the actual name of, <laughs> asked... He's uh, Australian. Yeah. <laughs> Do you believe education of the public about InfoSec, etc., is skipping up with the changes uh, to malicious attacks and threats? And if not, what can be done to help educate the masses about new threats and techniques? Okay, Iceman, great question. Because, I mean, what we do in Malicious Life actually is educating people about cybersecurity. I mean, most of our listeners are professionals in the field, but a great percentage are people just interested in cybersecurity and in stories about hacking. And we do try to, to educate. But the way I think about educating people about cybersecurity is not that we need to tell them about the latest hacks or techniques or um, you know frameworks or exploits. I mean, the professionals need to be on top of their game. They need to know all of these. But the public, actually, they don't need that information so much because they don't really have anything to do with it. I mean... With modern malware, if you happen to, to click on the wrong link, you're screwed, basically. I mean, you, you don't even get the chance to, to do anything. It Usually, the, the, the malware will take over your PC silently, behind the scenes, um, whatever the, the, the malware is. So there's not a lot you can do. 
However, uh, social engineering is a big part of, of what makes malware successful. I mean, in almost all malware, there is a, a point in time where, where somebody needs to give permissions. Someone needs to give passwords. Somebody needs to, to approve or maybe to, to disregard a warning message. And to get to that point and to be able to, to keep the infection going, Most malware needs some sort of, of, of social engineering uh, technique, be it maybe a phishing scam or you know uh, other sorts of scams, social media, whatever. These elements of, of social engineering, the knowledge of how to, to let's say be inoculated to, to these kinds of threats is something that I think we can teach the, the general public. Plus, these things never change that much. I mean, they're all built off of, of human vulnerabilities. Our minds don't get upgraded uh, as often as we would Absolutely. like, probably. <laughs> so uh, actually, what we mostly think, I think, need to educate people on, and that basically includes also children from a very early age, I mean, even as, as young as kindergarten age, is about social engineering. That's what most people will fall for, and that's what most people can be uh, or most the most effective way of of uh, of stopping malware if you're not a professional in cybersecurity. Could I throw in a point there too? Sure. Uh, I was recently because the the question I believe was whether education is keeping up with cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. Uh, recently, I was reading every year Verizon, the, the telecommunications company, publishes a report about data breaches. So they collect all this info about like what's going on in the world, what's trending and what's not. And this past year, anybody could look it up. A lot of the content was essentially just repetitive. And the writers even acknowledged it over and over. They said, you know, here's a quote from our 2013 report that we just copy pasted for this one. You know, <laughs> I think that why malicious life works as an educational tool is because we're telling largely historical stories but those stories even if the tech is maybe a little outdated the principles are fundamentally the same exactly little vulnerabilities that they'll, they'll change new ones will pop up but the fundamental principles of cybersecurity are always the same um, so if education is keeping up with cybersecurity it doesn't really have to um, until something radical changes which I can't see happening in the near future you could tell the story about the 2011 LinkedIn hack or the 1989 Morris worm and there will be something in there for us today yeah that's a, a very good insight because we chose to to take the um, let's say the historical perspective of approaching cybersecurity and it was a kind of a bet because everybody said but cybersecurity changes all the time even back when we started five years ago it was obvious that cybersecurity is a very dynamic field so why go the historical perspective route of, of approaching the material and I thought that a a good story is the way to to make things more interesting that's one thing plus as you said things rarely change in a very dramatic way and I'll tell you that I don't want I don't want to make it seem like nothing is moving cybersecurity moves very fast you know year to year just during covid for example ransomware just like exploded to levels exactly. that you couldn't have predicted it's just that the fundamental shapes of how it looks stay relatively consistent 
And we have a question from Carla Worrell. Hi, Carla. Uh, you want to uh, go live and ask us the question? Uh, there we go. Oh, here we are. Hi, Carla. Hi. Where are you from? I'm now in Washington, D.C., just moved. Ah, I mean, Washington, D.C., my second favorite city in the East Coast. I've been there like <laughs> half a year. No, really, Manhattan is the first. But yeah, you yeah, minimize okay. the but, compliment. <laughs> it didn't come out right. <laughs> but Washington, D.C. is great. Yeah. Uh, okay, Carla, what's your question? Okay, I, I just finished binge listening to all five years. I just discovered you wow. recently. And I'm curious what your favorite person to interview either for an episode or a b-side has been in the past episodes and is there somebody you particularly want to interview in the future hmm wow that's a tough one <laughs> lots of people we interviewed Nate you interviewed a lot so I'll let you start and then I'll think of something um, for me the answer is actually pretty clear We had an episode, I believe it was either the beginning of 2019, or, no, 2020, with a freaky clown. I don't yeah. know if anybody remembers this. The breaking physical into... breach, uh, breaching of, of yes. government buildings. So for those who haven't listened to the episode, uh, freaky clown, a pseudonym for, for a nice British man, uh, his entire job is to get hired by like banks and really large government institutions and... And break into their buildings so he'll go outside of like a, a chase bank or whatever it might be or a government building in a city hall look at it stand outside watch people going in and out watch how they go through the turnstiles and then map out a way to get to like the goods uh, whether that's the CEO's office or like a, a room with databases so he had so many stories that we could not even fit all of them in the episode we did with him um, He was also on Darknet Diaries. That guy just has a million things, so I'd love to have him back on. Yeah, I mean, his stories were kind of amazing. He's, he's got guts yeah. going into like a, a f- maximum security exactly. government building. Gets arrested. <laughs> he's had guns pointed at him. I mean, that guy, he's got a cool job. I, I hope they're paying him enough <laughs> for that job. <laughs> uh, for those who want to now catch up on this episode, it's episode number 102, Breaking into Secure Buildings. For me, the most interesting interview, the, uh, it's, it, it's obvious. I mean, yeah, it, it wasn't aired on Malicious Life, sadly, because uh, that was actually Steve Wozniak, uh, Apple's co-founder. And I interviewed him on stage in a cyber reason event uh, that happened, I think it was 2018 in Boston. And I mean, for me, talking to Steve Wozniak is like... I mean, he's like uh, Madonna or, I mean, Madonna kind of gives, gives away my age, like <laughs> sure. from the 80s. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's a superstar. Uh, so as an engineer, actually, why, one of my first episodes of my Hebrew language podcast, uh, Making History, was about Steve Wozniak. I mean, the guy is somebody I really adore. I'm a great fan of, and I got to both talk to him, you know, behind the scenes, on, in the backstage and uh, on stage about uh, his lots of pranks that he pulled off over the years, the viruses that he wrote. He wrote viruses for the Apple II computer back in the early 80s, of course, deleted them because back then nobody knew what it was, and he thought that it's going to be a huge mistake if you let everybody know what's a virus. Um, but it was really, really, I mean, I was so excited. Uh, and if we go to Carla's second part, who would you 
like to, to interview? To interview, yeah. Oh, that's an interesting question. Who would <laughs> I like to have on the show? Um, I think Bruce Schneier is somebody I'd very much be interested in talking to. Bruce Schneier is, uh, is a well-known uh, uh, security commentator and writer. Uh, he has a blog, Schneier on Security. Also, uh, Brian Krebs uh, from Krebs on Security, which is, I mean, he probably has tons of very interesting stories from his career as a journalist. Uh, anybody from your side, Nate? Uh, well, my answer, I'm, I'm torn. On one hand, I would say Bruce Schneier, just because you always ask me to interview him, and I'm kind of annoyed <laughs> at that. It's been too long. Just to get, to get exactly. you off back. <laughs> to get you off my back. Um, I don't know. There are certain names that tend to pop up in research. Miko Hippinen, for example. Have we yeah. had him on before? Yes, we did. I think we aired that interview. I interviewed him in, in the Black Hat Conference in 2018. Yeah. It was a live uh, interview in front of the audience in the booth. There's And I also, think we, we used that interview. Yes, we did. Yeah, there's also Cliff Stoll. He's my um, one that got away. Uh, he was a... Um, God, I forget the story already, but we, he had a really interesting role, and he, he's written he a book about it, too. He stopped an attack, I think, yes. by Russia. By was it German-hired KGB. Like KGB-hired German teenage hackers who are hacking into like the U.S., like physics space i don't know yeah it's a really great story and he stopped and them by himself i mean nobody believed correct, him that, that there were somebody so uh, in, i did so much work to find his contact information i had to go to his like glass blowing like website <laughs> it was the most out of the way thing uh, i was talking to him but he's this like sort of interesting guy who doesn't really need to talk to you if he doesn't want to so it, you know yeah. one day maybe yeah And actually, uh, uh, Miko Hipponen said that he listens to Malicious Life, which was, for me, a great compliment. Yeah. I mean, if you have somebody that knowledgeable about security listening to your podcast, I was very flattered. <laughs> yeah. That happens often these days, because I'll be reaching out to B-Sides guests, and they'll be like, oh, yeah, ah, Malicious Life. I'm listening. Sure yeah. we'll yeah. <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. Carla, thank you very much. Great question. Uh, we have another question from the audience, right? Yes. Let's go for another one from Twitter before that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Will von Sexon, hopefully I'm pronouncing it right, uh, is there a reason that the episodes are around 30 minutes per episode, as most of your subject could be talked about for a few hours at least? <laughs> a few hours? <laughs> we could write books on some of the, of the topics we talked about. Yeah, I mean, um, we don't uh, uh, limit ourselves to 30 minutes. Uh, it's not, I don't believe in, in the length of an episode episode. To be of any importance when it comes to how good an episode is, I believe in stories. Tell a great story. If it takes five hours, but it's great, then five hours it is. Uh, practically, we need to produce a new episode every week, which takes time. The longer you have an episode, uh, the, the longer it takes to produce it, both, both in terms of writing it and research and And uh, editing, etc. So uh, we tend to limit ourselves to between 30 minutes to 40 minutes tops. But in many cases, uh, when we knew that the, the topics are so good, we do two parts of a story, even three parts in, a, in, in several occasions that we did. So um, it's not like that we think that, 30 minutes is, is important of, for many, you know, there's lots of people uh, who, who are new to podcasting 
they they ask uh, what's the the optimal the ideal length for uh, for a podcast episode and I always tell them that the length is is irrelevant I mean we don't choose the movies we go to watch in in you know in the cinema uh, because they are longer or shorter we don't choose the the books we read because they are thinner or thicker it's just how good the story is what people say about the certain podcast book movie whatever it is so we try to ignore length just make it more practical and I'll just say my favorite podcast and Ron's also a big fan Dan Carlin's hardcore history his episodes are six hours I would write six hour episodes if we could but practically speaking I Because we release the narrative episodes every two weeks, I'm not sure how many listeners would love to hear about crypto AG for like three months in a row. <laughs> If they would, I would do it. <laughs> exactly. But uh, that's the real. Carlin, he, he solved the issue by actually releasing a single episode, which is six episodes long, six hours long, sorry, releasing an episode once every six months. And I don't think that's a very good thing. strategy for a podcast which is you know I mean Dan is like he's a superstar now so he can afford to to release uh, episodes with such a long delay I think that for shows like ours which have limited crowds I mean we are in a specific genre uh, once every week once every two weeks is a good uh, frequency to release episodes so it's it's a balance we have to to be pragmatic about it And I'll never forget the time you interviewed him and didn't invite me. <laughs> I still haven't forgiven you for that. Uh, Don't sorry about forgot. that. <laughs> yeah. It was. It was also an interesting interview. Uh, it was for another podcast, so it had no affinity to malicious life. Yeah, sure. But it was fun. Sure. Yeah. So if we're talking about other podcasts, uh, first, last, the ever mystery, <laughs> ask the question if you want to unmute yourself and you can ask it out loud. I'll, I'll read uh, his question out loud. Assuming it's a he. Uh, let's see. Yes. Okay. So I'll ask it. Yeah. What difficulties or benefits have you found from coming from a Hebrew language podcast into an English language podcast? Sadly, no, no not much uh, benefits. Mostly difficulties, as you can probably hear. Um, uh, so my English was always good relative to a Hebrew speaker. I mean, I've been reading in English since I was like 10 years old. So I have a great vocabulary and understand the grammar, etc. Of course, talking <laughs> and listening are very different things. So when I started um, Curious Minds, the other podcast that I said that I started before Malicious Life, uh, you could go actually to Curious Minds' first episodes and, and get a good kick out of listening to my accent then because it was much worse than it is today. Uh, I soon realized that if I wanted to make my podcast go global and and to be appealing to English language listeners, I would need to change my accent in a very uh, uh, dramatic way, which I did. I uh, kind of uh, practiced with you know online courses and stuff for about half a year or four months, something like that. And by the end of it, my accent improved. Quite significantly, I think, from my earlier accent, which was something that I didn't expect because um, uh, I was already 42 by that point. So uh, I'm always used to people saying, you know, if you haven't mastered the language by that age, 
you'll, you'll always have a bad accent. And I, happily, I found that, that it's not true. I mean, you can improve your accent, but improving the fluency of your talking is much more difficult but I, because I still think in Hebrew, which means I need to translate everything that I say to English, which kind of means that that's a bit more difficult for me. But when it comes to narration, thankfully, uh, I have time to practice. And as uh, Yotam, uh, if he was here, he could probably uh, acknowledge that. It, it takes quite a lot of takes for me to, to narrate an English episode uh, properly. I mean, the, the accent is still there. Plus, I have Nate here, <laughs> who deliberately and unshamefully... <laughs> inserts difficult words mm. into his mm. scripts that he writes. <laughs> Not always intentionally. Sometimes intentionally. Always. I feel intentionally. I always try to include okay, complicated need- <laughs> names. Russian names, Chinese names. Those are the ones I deliberately throw in there. Okay. We need yeah. to explain that to the audience. Yes. Me and Nate, we have a kind of a game. Mm. <laughs> when he writes a script and I narrate it, <laughs> he tries to insert the most horrendous names And most difficult names to pronounce Correct. that you can think about. Yes. Mostly Russian names, uh, Chinese names are very popular. Yes. There were kind of Polish names here and there. Yeah. Uh, names of villages and cities. Oh, yeah. Even if he doesn't really need to have them Big in time. the script. <laughs> Come on, the details make the story. Don't you know that, Ron? You've been writing podcasts for a while. <laughs> and I will get you for that one day. <laughs> one day you'll narrate Malicious Life yeah, yeah, and I'll sure. be writing the scripts yeah, and I'll find some Hebrew names for you to pronounce. Yeah. with chet and ein, which Ooh. is very difficult words for uh, letters for Hebrew English speakers to pronounce. No, I could do that, <laughs> but not the R's. The R's kill the me, R's. so get me on the R's. Yeah. yeah. Ran, for example. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's difficult for you. Anyway, yeah. yeah. So it's been a difficult uh, journey narrating a podcast in English. I'm still learning as we go all the time. I still train a lot, do lots of tongue twisters every day. Fluency is something that's going to be very difficult always. But there is, I think, the silver lining in that story because I once read an interview with Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, he uh, was born in Austria and, of course, he has a very thick German accent. But in that interview, he revealed that actually as a U.S. citizen for the last, I don't know, 30, 40 years, his accent has gotten better over the years. He doesn't have... In reality, uh, such a thick German accent. But when he plays in his movies, when he acts in his movies, he acts with an accent. He deliberately makes a, a German accent just because it's... It's more recognizable. Yeah, it's his trademark. And I've discovered over the years that your voice, your intonation, and the way you pronounce things in podcasting is your... brand your identity what makes you unique yeah so I think in a way my slight or not so slight accent uh, when I'm speaking English English makes me more recognizable to American ears or international ears but of course one needs to be very careful because if the accent is too thick uh, too difficult to be understood then it 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 hurts the podcast instead of helping it. So it's a kind of a balance, but that's, that's a good question. I mean, that's something that probably uh, takes about half of my time dealing with uh, the differences in languages. 
The attack surface has never been larger or more diverse, yet defenders are still forced to piece together intelligence from numerous siloed solutions that produce a flood of alerts in order to detect and end complex malicious operations. No more. Defenders can now leverage AI-driven Cyberism XDR powered by Google Chronicle to predict, understand, and end sophisticated attacks with the only solution on the market that delivers planetary-scale protection that allows them to predict attacker behavior through a revolutionary, operation-centric detection and response approach. Cyberism and Google Cloud are dedicated to teaming with defenders to end cyber attacks from endpoints to the enterprise to everywhere. Learn more about Cyberism XDR, powered by Google Chronicle, at cyberism.com slash platform slash XDR. Another question that we got on Twitter from Michael Crook, that goes by Falcon Mick. What is your favorite hack or hacks of all time? Mm. His personal favorite is the entire saga behind the Xbox Underground. Uh, the Xbox Underground is an episode that uh, we're planning to make in the future. So yeah, Michael, I mean, that's a good, uh, good story to tell. Um, what's my favorite uh, story? You know, it's always so difficult to, to choose from 170 stories. Um, I think um, there was the story of the Dark Avenger. The Dark Avenger is, is one of the very first episodes that we did in Malicious Life. It was an adaptation of, an, uh, of a chapter from my book. And I chose that back then even to be one of the first episodes of Malicious Life because it is very interesting in terms of, of the human conflict. The Dark Avenger was a Bulgarian virus author uh, from the early 1990s. And um, most of the viruses back then were kind of harmless. I mean, there were like nasty viruses, but most of the viruses in the early 90s were kind of uh, funny. Uh, if people remember... You know, Again, uh, giving away my age here, people remember the ping pong virus, stoned, uh, other viruses which were kind of uh, funny. I mean, I distinctly remember people actually sharing, you know, floppy disks with viruses on them intentionally just so they could see how a virus takes over their computer and, and, and doing stuff because it was a very novel idea back then. But the Dark Avenger, he was a very angry young man for some reason, we don't really know why. And his viruses were nasty. I mean, they were vi destructive viruses. So destructive that he, it wasn't enough for him to, to actually erase, delete all the information on a computer, but he also uh, destroyed backups incrementally. So it were, these were very nasty viruses, plus they were very sophisticated for their time. Uh, they had some neat, neat ideas that he had. But the Dark Avenger had a nemesis, which I, as an author, I found to be very uh, fascinating because in today's cybersecurity world, things became impersonal over the years. I mean, we're talking about money and business, and there's not a lot of, lot of room for interpersonal conflicts in, in cybersecurity. Uh, back then, because the community was so small, there weren't a lot of virus authors or hackers. There weren't a lot of, uh, lots of, of cybersecurity specialists. So everybody knew everybody. And 
uh, there was a security analyst in Bulgaria called uh, Vesilin Bonchev, uh, still uh, rather famous in cybersecurity. And he and the Dark Avenger became uh, sort of a nemesis to one each other uh, of sorts. Bonchev used to criticize uh, the Dark Avenger's viruses and pointed bugs and things that he didn't like in the code. And the, the Dark Avenger was furious about that and uh, tried to uh, harm his business in several ways. So they had kind of a feud going on. Plus, there was another third character, which is also a very interesting character. Uh, Sarah Gordon was her name. She was a social security, a social worker from the United States, knew almost nothing about cybersecurity or even computers back then. But somehow she managed to gain the Dark Avengers' trust, and uh, she talked to him quite a lot. He even got to the point where he named one of his viruses after her. So there's a kind of an interesting triangle between these three guys, and uh, I won't spoil the end of the story, but uh, probably Dark Avenger is still alive, whoever he is. It's been like 30 years, but he's probably still alive. So uh, if you're by chance listening to Malicious Life and you want to tell your side of the story, <laughs> I'll be very glad to talk to you. Because the entire story has been told on episode two. So when episode you said one two. of the few first ones, then exactly. it's the second one. And you actually had uh, Veslin Bonchev as a guest. We did, we did. I interviewed him for the book and for the podcast, I think it was even. Uh, Adas, do you have any uh, story from the last year that you've been with us <laughs> that you kind of love um, best? You're putting me on the spot. <laughs> And I think my favorite story has been Crypto AG because... That's Nate's story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I think the beauty of it, of... cracking code and countries going one against another and private companies taking down countries just sounds like a script for a movie it is yeah and it's a crazy story I've never heard of it I'm not saying I'm any like I'm not knowledgeable about infosec at the slightest I'm slowly becoming more knowledgeable <laughs> As you've been thanks to the, the job show. here um, <laughs> but it's very interesting and I finally have some new stuff to to tell my brother that he's into infosec and cyber security and so like I feel like sometimes like hey I have the upper hand here yeah I, I mean that was one of the rare episodes where we did three parts because the story was so good what's your story? I wanted to do more parts actually. yeah if yeah. we could yeah yeah what's your favorite story Nick? well I also had a difficult time deciding on this I think I have a twofold answer from a technical perspective I My favorite was tar- the target hack because the target hack occurred what almost a decade ago now um, it wasn't particularly technically savvy but the hackers used this like podunk like HVAC company in Pittsburgh and if you go to their website it's just these like burly Pittsburgh guys who are like running air conditioners for different companies and they hacked this little company that clearly had no cyber security to speak of. and use them to get into Target's air conditioning system, which was not segmented <laughs> from their payment systems to the extent that the hackers could just go from air conditioning to, to payments. So that was, that was a funny one for me. That's episode 29. Yes. And uh, from a story perspective, it's not necessarily a hack per se, but I think the most perfect story that I've done for the show is Operation Flyhook. Uh, that one went a little bit under the radar. The reason I love Flyhook so much is that All of the characters are basically sympathetic 
the story ends very nicely. So for those who haven't listened, um, there was this young Russian man in his early 20s. Uh, I forget his name off the top of my head. And all he really wanted was a job at a tech company. Now, not everybody could get a job at a tech company, but this guy really knew his stuff, right? You could tell from a technical perspective when he was carrying out cyber attacks that he knew his stuff. He had a great resume. He really could have gotten a job at just about any tech company if he wasn't from this small town in Russia where nobody goes anywhere because it's a small town in Russia. So he wants to work for Google, Facebook. He could, but he can't. So what he decides to do is hack into companies tell them that he did so, so that they'll be impressed by him and maybe hire him. This works one time. Uh, His first time ever attempting this, the company actually offered him and his friend a job, but it was only for like $75 a week or something like that. So he obviously didn't take it. It was a Russian company, I think. Yes, exactly. So he thinks, oh, maybe because all of these tech companies aren't reading my resume or my, my cover letters, that I could hack them and, uh, and non-tech companies, to be fair, and show them what I did, and maybe they'll, they'll hire me. So he comes into this very with a sort of wholesomeness, and I don't want to give him too much credit because he was also hacking, you know, and it wasn't fun for his victims. Um, evidently, he becomes so interesting to the FBI that they create this incredibly elaborate ruse, probably the most elaborate ruse I've ever heard of, uh, at least in cybersecurity where they create a tech company that doesn't exist. Uh, they they offer- actually create a, a company. They, they right. have offices. They yes. even have like yes. props on the table, everything. Exactly. They're called, I think it was Invita Security. Yes, Invita yes. Security, and the person is Alexei Ivanov. There you go. Um, so Alexei and his friend uh, end up getting this job offer from Invita Security. They're flown in. They're driven from the Seattle airport to Invita's offices. And while they're in the car, there's this part in the story I like where he's sort of just like looking out the window and like looking at all these companies which he'd love to work for the city he'd love to be in and in in reality they're fbi people driving him he just doesn't know it yet to to this fbi sting um we also interviewed ray pompen who was the guy who carried out the interview now the interview was designed for them he basically sat down with uh, with uh, alexi and asked him to hack their systems to to incriminate himself exactly and what he did was he hacked their systems like he hacks everybody else's systems and through that obvious fin- fingerprinting it became clear that he was the guy who they wanted they arrest him he goes to jail but in the end that's actually a good outcome for him because he actually just wanted to live in the US and work for US companies so by the time he gets out of jail he's in the US he works so- for for American companies yeah yeah he I made don't it. think it's the easiest way to get a visa <laughs> it's a roundabout way to get exactly what he wanted so I like that story it, it is a great story <laughs> so many great stories in cybersecurity I mean that's why I chose that topic as the center of the book that I wrote because I knew there were great stories to be but found. because there are so many great stories I How do you pick a topic? How do you go about choosing a topic for an episode? Oh, that's a tough choice. I mean, on the technical level, every four or five months, we, all the writers, all the team, we kind of, uh, everybody finds some time and looking for new topics, you know, browsing the web, trying to, to find something interesting. People have come up with, you know, like tens and tens of, uh, of ideas. And then we have to kind of screen them and see what's interesting and what not. And most of the time, I try to go for the most interesting story. I mean, 
the technical stuff, it takes second place behind the story because I believe as a writer, as a podcaster, that story-driven episodes are the best, are the most interesting. Uh, we try to find very interesting stories, but there's a caveat here that sometimes the stories are not that unique. I mean, we could do like hundreds of episodes about ransomware, for example, but All is ever changing is the name of the company, the name of the hacker. So nothing really, there's nothing really interesting. So what we do sometimes is try to, to go according to a specific topic or a specific um, technical topic or an idea. And in, when we're thinking of, in that uh, perspective, I always try to find the ideas which are not obvious. I mean... Uh, for example, if, if I don't know if, if it's the same in the US, but the Discovery Channel and the uh, History Channel, if they make an, uh, a show about astronomy, it will always have black holes in them. And if they make uh, an historical uh, a show about history, it will al almost always will be about the Second World War. I mean, these are the obvious topics. And I try to escape from these obvious topics, to run away from them. And we're trying to find uh, topics which or ideas which are not many people have, have kind of, you know, it's the road less taken. Just as an example, I mean, we did an episode about Aaron Schwartz a few, I think it was a few months ago. And, I mean, his story, uh, I mean, he's a, he's a kind of a well-known figure, but his story is basically not that captivating. Uh, he, he tried to hack Uh, he got caught, he was put on trial. But the most interesting idea that came out of that story is the question of, of how harshly should we uh, punish hackers or people who are trying to, let's say, uh, change social norms through, uh, through hacking, which is a very interesting topic, which is not discussed that much. That's so, episode 164. It is, yeah. So... Basically, there is a mix of interesting stories and more idea-oriented or technology-oriented episodes. Yeah, and I'd say that um, Ron is really a sucker for a story, and I am as well. Um, but I really am gravitated to characters. For example, uh, next week, or, or actually it'll be the last week by the time this comes out maybe, uh, Stratfor is the story I've been working on lately. Um, Stratfor leaks... are a fundamentally probably the worst story we've ever covered. All that happened was that one company's data leaked through WikiLeaks. The company was like kind of interesting and WikiLeaks, you know, we all know them. What made that episode, I think, really compelling is that you had really interesting people who were so strange. Um, there's Jeremy who would, Jeremy's this like 20-year-old kid. When he'd go with his activist friends to a restaurant, he'd walk by tables where the food was still sitting out from the last people who were there. The wait waiter didn't clean it up yet. He'd take the food off the plate and start eating it. He'd eat food from dumpsters. He's a you character. Know? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> George Friedman, this guy who... Uh, he grew up watching his dad do like military intelligence and he creates this company where he predicts wars and he predicts like natural events and financial movements. He knew that the Iraq war was going to start before CNN did, you know? So even with a story that's basically nothing, it's just so interesting to like get to know 
characters in those ways. Exactly. And cybersecurity has so many great stories and characters and people. I mean, uh, some of the characters we interviewed over the year, like uh, that guy, the funky clown, I think. Freaky clown. Freaky clown, sorry. <laughs> funky clown. <laughs> Freaky clown. I mean, that's a, a great example. I mean, these are very interesting people who do very interesting stuff. So we're lucky to be, to be operating. In, By the in way. That. Yeah. Uh, just as a little preview, I would say that one of the most interesting people doing one of the most interesting things is going to be a B-side episode coming up. I had a conversation with a ransomware negotiator. Um, wow, so this is a guy who, exactly, every day is saving companies thousands, millions of dollars from these great Russian groups. So that one's going to be a really good conversation. Wow. Very so interesting. If we are over there, that, any other spoilers in the pipeline that you're willing to share with the crowd? Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually we try not to think about episodes that much uh, into the future uh, I like to to be kind of um, to have flexibility to to change topics if I need to now I don't want to uh, you know to commit to a certain topic if I don't have to but I already know that we're gonna do an episode or even a series of episodes about Silk Road the website that or service that that started the Bitcoin uh, rev- uh, or was part of the Bitcoin revolution. And I, well, we're going to do something about Kevin Mitnick's story. I mean, a very famous story. But that's a challenge because, I mean, because it's a well-known story, relatively well-known story, uh, we're going to need to find a way to approach it in a different direction. I, I, we don't do things that like everybody else does. We need to find something that's going to be A different way to tell that story it's a challenge so hopefully you'll find it interesting in the episodes to come I'll throw in a little spoiler while we're at it uh, the episode that I believe comes out after this b-side uh, is going to involve uh, Jacob Goldstein from NPR's planet money who I got to interview about a very interesting little yeah. s- crypto anarchy story so he was a great interview obviously because he knows all the ins and outs of podcasts yeah and I don't know if I can say lots of details but we were approached by a big uh, a uh, law enforcement agency a few uh, uh, yeah. months back, and we're in conver- talking with them about uh, potential cooperation. I don't know if there's going to be uh, something interesting that's going to come out from that collaboration, but talking to a big uh, uh, law enforcement agency in the U.S. is always very interesting. Uh, and it just shows how far the podcast has come, that... Um, government agencies they approached us actually approaching yeah. us yes yeah. so we're becoming yeah. a name in this space which is amazing I also got like a note from one of the producers that I gave the wrong numbers and we've passed way past the 10 million downloads we just am ah, maybe with with the Spotify's numbers yeah, etc different platforms that we were yeah, on 10 million that's amazing it just shows how much we managed to gain not only you amazing listeners and a crowd in a community but also we made a name for ourselves outside and and I said on, on one of the uh, recent episodes that I mean for us hitting the top 10 uh, iTunes technology category was amazing I mean I never heard In my wildest dreams as a podcaster in Israel expected to, to see a show that I involved in uh, uh, breaking the top 10 of, of iTunes technology I mean that's like playing in the NBA for a European basketball player or something like that so uh, that was one of my best moments in my career as a podcaster uh, okay we've got time I think for one more question uh, and then we need to start to wrap things up. Uh, do we have another question for us, Hadas? 
let's see. I have a few that I got over the weeks. But let's go back to Nate. Mm. You're in charge of our B-sides. How did the B-sides came to be? I think that malicious life, we get to tell these interesting historical stories, but we don't often get to keep up with what's current in cybersecurity for that reason. And as we've said, the fundamental shapes aren't changing, but day-to-day things do really move. Um, so we use B-sides as a way to talk to interesting people about the kinds of things that are relevant to people today. Um, what's going on with Russia? Uh, ransomware negotiations? You know, NSA, the kinds of things that you know we otherwise wouldn't be able to cover in the narrative episodes. So I think they're just a different way to talk to the audience that some people appreciate, and for some people, they prefer the stories. And I'll also throw in one other good reason to have B-sides. There are a lot of aspects of cybersecurity that are present and dangerous that have never actually occurred yet. For example, we've got a B-side that's going to come out later this summer, probably, uh, about railway security. Now, there have been attacks against railways, but not really yet. And There's yet, no big stories to tell about the past. Exactly. Except... Railway CISOs, which is a position that did not even exist uh, a couple of years ago, are terrified of it, right? So how do you tell that in a normal malicious life episode? It's tough. Another good example, industrial security. Everyone involved in industrial security is so worried about dangerous physical consequences, right? If you hack into a plant and something blows up, you know, you have to make sure that doesn't happen. Nothing thus far has blown up as a result of a cyber attack besides Stuxnet, arguably. Um And yet, it's so ever-present for this field that you just got to talk about it anyway. So there are these topics that wouldn't really fit the narrative, but are important for people to know about. Exactly. And I think our approach to B-sides is also, I think, a bit innovative in the podcast space because we try not to... First of all, we, we do edit the interviews quite a lot. I mean, we don't air the interviews as they were recorded live to tape because... We try to, to save the good parts. I mean, interviews are, are, are very difficult for producers of podcasts. Some interviews are great, some less so. It's, very, it's highly dependent on how good the, the, the guest is or the how chemistry. interesting the topic is, the chemistry between the interviewer and the guest, of course. And it's something that is very difficult to, to keep, like, um, to maintain a very high level of. So we try to uh, edit all the interviews to, to include all, only the good parts. Plus, sometimes I try to add in more narrative bits to kind of enhance certain topics or explain certain ideas that sometimes did not, were not explained in the interview itself. Even the B-sides episodes, which are, I mean, they are very different from the narrative episodes, I hope they do bring their own unique value to the, to the listeners. Uh, okay. It has now been, I think, an hour since we started. Thank you, uh, everyone, for joining us today. It was so much fun. Uh, thanks also to Nate and Hadas here with me in the studio. And a big thank you to all of our other team members who are not in the studio today. Anthony Freed with us uh, over Zoom, uh, Yotam Halachmi, Michal Levartovsky, Boaz Lavi, and Agam Kedem Levi. These are uh, other authors of several episodes of the show. And a special thanks to two people who were part of our journey but have since moved on to do other uh, great things elsewhere. Eliad Kimchi, who helped me produce the show for quite a few years, and Lital Asher, who was instrumental in making the show happen in the first place. 
Lastly, a big thanks to Danny Timor, my co-founder and CEO of PI Media, who works tirelessly behind the scenes to keep the financial wheels of this whole operation going. And of course, to our good friends in Cyberism, who not only sponsor the show, but also help with reaching out to interesting guests, providing technical insights about current events in cybersecurity, and in general, being the best cybersecurity company out there. And that's not a, a, a scripted uh, ad. That's me personally saying what I think. We love you guys. Thank you very, very much. Here's to another five great years of malicious life, guys, at the very least. See you uh, next episode and in our next uh, anniversary uh, special episode, hopefully in a few years. <laughs> Thank you very much, guys. Bye-bye. Oh, my God. CK Music.